And please turn with me in your Bibles this evening to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. This evening we are going to be looking at verses 4 through 10. Here in Peter's second epistle, he is writing to the church that has been scattered abroad because of persecution. He is writing to the church that is struggling with increasing wickedness on the earth. I was talking with a brother this last week about how it may be that every generation feels that they live in just such a time. Each and every subsequent generation, it seems, can look upon the circumstances of their own generation and feel as if things are only getting worse. And one of the things that that at least highlights is the practicality of God's word. Here is this epistle written some 2,000 years ago, and it finds the same application even today in our own generation. We might look around and wonder at what God is doing. We might look around and wonder at uh, why God would allow this or allow that development to happen in our lifetimes. Parents and grandparents, you might especially worry about your children and grandchildren and the kind of world that they are going to live in. And you might wonder, how is it that we as God's people can continue to follow Christ even as wickedness increases in the world? Well, that is particularly the kind of question that Peter is here addressing in his second epistle as he is seeking to encourage the church as they are facing difficulty in their present set of circumstances. Well, with that, let us give our careful attention to the word of God. Again, we'll begin our reading at verse 4 and read through verse 10. This is the word of God. <clears throat> For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world but preserved Noah a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Amen. This is the word of God. Let us bow briefly for prayer. Lord God, this is your word. And as uh, the Psalms teach us time and again, we are dependent upon you to bless us in the hearing of your word. Lord, we considered that this morning from Acts 16. Lord, you blessed Lydia. You opened her heart to attend to the word that was preached. And Lord, we ask of that for each of us, that you would open our hearts because you have a word for us here in your holy word. We ask that your spirit would be among us, 
that your spirit would guide the words that are preached in the way that they are applied to our hearts. And we pray that you would strengthen us and encourage us tonight with your word. Lord Jesus, you said that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds from the mouth of God. And so we come asking that you would strengthen us, that you would feed us tonight with your word. We pray that you would press it in upon our hearts, that we might live by it to the praise and to the glory of your name. As we pray this in Christ, amen. Well, the opening pages of scripture set before us an incredible contrast. The Bible begins with the creation account. And in the creation account, God continues to speak and to make all things out of nothing. He continues to create, placing Adam and Eve in a garden. And when his work of creation is done, he looks upon all that he has made and he says, it is very good. It is incredible. Mankind is enjoying rich blessings from God. They are enjoying God himself. And it can only get better in the sense that man has the opportunity to be elevated and to be secured in that perfect enjoying of God forever. But then Genesis 3 comes. And Adam falls. Adam sins and he plunges the whole human race into this estate of sin and misery. He brings sin into the world and it affects all of his children ever after. It is a striking contrast. Because instead of the glories of the garden, we see mankind quickly developing in sin. Adam sins by eating of the forbidden fruit. And in only the second generation, Cain kills Abel. All the way up until the time of the flood, that portion of God's word is designed to instruct us. It is designed to teach us of just how powerful and destructive sin is. We watch in only a relatively few numbers of chapters as God's word shows us sin's destructive nature. Again, in just one generation, we see murder. And then from then on, we watch sin develop all the way until the time of Lamech, and he is boasting about his sinfulness. Things get so bad that by the time the flood comes, by the time of Noah's generation, God says that he regrets having made mankind on the earth. He says that every intention of their hearts is only evil continually. That is a great contrast with which the Bible begins. And it shows just how quickly sin can increase in the world. Well, I think our generation today would say that we live in a time of increasing wickedness in the world. And so the question becomes, how do we live as Christians in the midst of this? Again, I do believe this is a question that each and every generation wrestles with from one degree to another. But since we all do not know how things will develop, we at least wrestle with that question of how are we to know how to live during times of increasing wickedness on the earth? 
How are we to know? Well, that is why God's word here found in 2 Peter is so helpful to each and every generation. Because here in our text tonight, God takes us by the hand, as it were, so that he might show us carefully how he kept Noah and delivered Noah through that time of increasing wickedness on the earth. And then, as if one example were not enough, God takes us by the hand again so that we might consider how he rescued Lot during a horrific time of increasing wickedness on the earth. While we do live on a t- in a time of increasing wickedness on the earth, we do know that according to God's word, we can look to God. We can look to what he provides so that we might understand what is going on in this world and know how it is to live. The simple message of our text tonight is that the Lord knows. Even when you find yourself wrestling with questions that you do not have the answers to, the answer of God's word is that the Lord knows. There is a wonderful rest that comes in knowing that you do not, in a certain sense, need to know because the Lord knows. Our text tonight divides into two parts, so let's begin with the first. First of all, the Lord knows how to punish sin. The Lord knows how to punish sin. As we live in this time of increasing wickedness, we can tend to wonder about it. What is going on, Lord? Lord, don't you see how your name is defamed? Lord, do you not see how your servants suffer? We know, Lord, that you can do all things. We know that your hand is mighty to save. So what is going on with all of this? Well, that is precisely where the text takes us. So consider first the angels. Here the text tells us that the angels sinned. What does this mean? Well, the parallel passage in Jude tells us that these angels did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling. In other words, these angels rebelled against God. They were guilty of treason. Here we are talking about these angels who once enjoyed that perfected state with God. They were in that place of perceiving the perfections of God, and it was from there that they left their proper dwelling. And so we can see the same kinds of questions that we may be asking in our day applied in the time in which these angels fell. Why, Lord? Why would you allow this to happen? Don't you see this? And seeing this, why don't you do anything about it? Do you not know what to do? The text goes on. Consider second, the ancient world. And here the text turns our attention to a consideration of that world before the flood. What was the world like before the flood? Well, Genesis 6-5 says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So clearly this was a time marked by increasing wickedness on the earth. There was great corruption among mankind. Listen again to the language of the text. It says the wickedness of the man was great on the earth. And that every intention of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. 
That is obviously a time marked by increasing wickedness on the earth. That time in God's word is really given to us to show us just how dangerous sin is and just how quickly things can devolve. The text goes so far as to say that the Lord had regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So again, just go back and place yourself in that context. Imagine the kinds of questions that you might be asking if you were living in Noah's generation. Why, Lord? How does this fit into your grand plan? Don't you see all of this sin increasing? Do you not know what to do? The text goes on. Consider third, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. When we are first introduced to these cities, Lot has just chosen to live nearby them. God's word reads there, Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against God. But from there it only gets worse. And the next time we hear about Sodom, Abraham is pleading for that city because Lot no longer lives near that city, he lives in it. And so Abraham is there pleading with God to spare that city if only ten righteous are found living in it. The only problem is, despite the fact that Lot's family lives there, there's not even ten. And so we read on in God's word and it only gets worse. It gets really worse. Next we read of how these two angels come to Sodom to destroy it. Lot sees these two men and he fears for them. He urges them to come and to stay with him. Despite all of his efforts, the word tells us that the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. What are they there for? Well, as awful as it is to simply say, the men of the city, all of them, both young and old, all of these men are gathered here to rape these two men. They are gathered here to abuse these men who have come into their midst. It is an unthinkable wickedness. It is so wicked that even our world today would categorize it as wickedness. And so once again, we could imagine ourselves in that time asking these kinds of questions. Lord, do you see? Why do you let this kind of wickedness continue? Why do you let... This kind of sin flourish and grow. Do you not know what to do? Here, the word of God is turning our attention to these things. Why is it that God reminds us of these things? Well, it is because when we look back, we can see that these questions that burden our hearts today would have been the same questions that would have burdened anyone's heart or a believer's heart in that day. And the answer that God gave then is his answer for us today. So what would God say to all of these questions? Well, his answer is the Lord knows. Whenever you wonder about these things that you do not understand, you are to take heart according to the word of God because the Lord knows. Here's what the word of God says about all of this increasing wickedness on the earth. It says, the Lord knows how to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. Consider again the angels who sinned. God's word answers for us. 
For God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. No matter how things may have seemed, when the angels rebelled against God, God was in control. And God knows how to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. Even though it may have seemed to any human observer like things were left out of control, like justice was left undone, God's word steps in and says, the Lord knows. And even then, we would not have been able to see how God would do right on the earth. It did not matter. It would not have mattered because the Lord knows. Consider again the ancient world. God's word answers us again in those questions saying, God did not spare the ancient world. Instead, he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. God buried that increasing corruption on the earth under a devastating flood. Days before it started to rain, you could imagine perhaps Noah and his family wrestling with the questions about that increasing corruption on the earth. Lord, don't you see? Don't you care? Do you not know what to do? And maybe even while they're asking the questions, all of a sudden it starts to rain because the Lord knows. The Lord knows how not to spare this corruption when it increases on the earth. Think, too, of, of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. God's word again answers us, saying, God turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, condemning them to extinction. Again, if we were to go back and imagine what would it be like to live where Lot lived? What if we were there? When those men of the city were on the verge of breaking down their door to abuse those two angels who had found refuge in that home. Lord, what is going on? Do you not know? All of a sudden, sulfur and fire begin to fall from heaven on those cities, such that the text tells us that the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. Even if we have to live through increasing corruption on the earth, we need to always remember that the Lord knows. From a human perspective, in each of these accounts, it would be easy to wonder, Lord, do you not know? Well, here the word of God reveals how we are to rightly interpret those situations, and it tells us with the words, the Lord knows. So whenever you face increasing wickedness, the increasing wickedness of this world, let that holy refrain reverberate within your soul. The Lord knows. When you see a war going on in Ukraine, and it continues to go on, you say, the Lord knows. When you see the conflict in the Middle East, you say, the Lord knows. When you hear each and every week of some new shooting or attack, you need to say, the Lord knows. Now, anytime we cry out for justice, we need to at the same time realize that when we cry out for justice, it puts us as sinners into a precarious place. Whenever we see or experience the devastating effects of sin in our lives or in the lives of others, what God has put within us cries out for justice. That is a good thing. 
That is a God-given desire. It is a right desire. It is a good desire. But we need to remember that any time we are crying out for justice, that justice demands that my sins be punished as well. Justice is good. Justice glorifies God. And it is good to cry out for justice. But what about when justice demands that I be punished for my sins? What about when you come to realize that the problem is not just that the angels rebelled against God, but that I have rebelled against God? What about when you realize that the problem is not just that at one time every intention of man's heart was evil continually, but that every intention of my heart except, but, except for the grace of God would be evil only or evil continually? What about when you realize that depravity is not just a problem out there, but it is a problem in here? The seed of every sin exists within the human heart within every human heart. And so knowing this and understanding this, we can ask those earlier questions with a different tone. Lord, don't you see what is going on within my own heart? Do you see how sin increases? Do you see how I am tempted to go along with this world? Do you see how I am enticed to compromise with this increasing wickedness in this world? Well, that's why we need to go on, because God's word proclaims to us today, not only will justice be done on the earth because the Lord knows, but there is also mercy for the very worst of sinners because the Lord knows. So second, let's consider that the Lord knows how to save sinners. To teach us about the promise of punishment God turned our attention to three times in which iniquity was increasing on the earth. And in each of those times, our limited perspective would have caused us to wonder, saying, Lord, do you know? Well, as we turn to consider the sinfulness of our own hearts, and when we consider the deceitful power of sin, we should wonder about ourselves, Lord, do you know? Do you know how to save me? Do you know how to deliver me from my sins? Do you know how to preserve me from living in a world of increasing wickedness? Do you know how to keep me from being drawn away by this world and the powerful deceitfulness of sin? Knowing my heart, I do not know. Do you know? Well, that is why God's word here turns us to two examples. And these are beautiful, helpful examples. God's word turns our attention first to Noah. Here our text describes Noah as a herald of righteousness. In other words, he's a preacher. He was a preacher of the righteousness that was promised by God, that would be provided by that coming Messiah. When we go back to Genesis 6, we remember that it was Noah who lived in the midst of a world of increasing wickedness. Noah was living in that generation of which God said the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of his heart was only evil continually. Here God turns our attention to one godly man in the midst of a wicked and godless generation. And we ask the question, so Lord, do you know? Lord, do you know how to save me? And God says, consider my servant Noah. 
He lived during a time of increasing wickedness on the earth. You look upon the state of the church in the world today and you wonder how can God save such a relatively small amount when compared to the rest of the world. Well, in Noah's day, God saved eight while destroying the rest of mankind with a flood. Now we need to be clear that Noah was a sinner saved by grace. And this is clear from the account of Noah. After the flood waters subsided, God established his covenant with Noah and God graciously gave to him that glorious sign of the covenant when he put his bow in the sky. But as we read on, we read of how Noah succumbed to temptation. He sinned with wine, he got drunk, and he brought great shame upon himself in front of his own sons. But then notice what our text does when it looks upon Noah. Notice what God does when he looks back upon Noah. How does God remember Noah? He was a herald of righteousness. He was a preacher of the gospel. And so you could wonder tonight, Lord, can you save me? I know my sin and they are ever before me. In fact, some of my greatest sins have occurred since I've known your grace. And what is more, I see the wickedness increasing in this world and I'm not confident in myself. I am not confident that I won't go the way of the world. Although God says to you tonight, consider my servant Noah. He was also all alone in his generation and the wickedness of that world was so severe that God brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. But God saved Noah. He preserved Noah and seven others because the Lord knows. The Lord knows how to save the ungodly. God preserved Noah not because of Noah's righteousness but because Noah was trusting in the promised righteousness of the Messiah. Well, you perhaps still say, my heart condemns me. Perhaps you say tonight, yeah, but you don't understand just how sinful I am. Noah seemed to fall just that one time into drunkenness and embarrassing himself in front of his boys. But I'm not like Noah. I didn't just give in on one occasion to sin. No, my life has been much more compromised than that. Than that. Well, then God takes you with his word, and he says, have you considered my servant Lot? When we read of Lot in Genesis 13, we meet a man who is pursuing prophets. Abram and Lot must separate because of the size of their clans, and so Abram gives Lot the opportunity to choose which of the lands he would like to use. And the text highlights the fact that Lot looked upon the land in terms of that which would prosper him financially. He was looking upon the land by sight and not by faith. He didn't consider the hidden costs that would come because of compromise. He only considered the financial gain found by moving toward Sodom and Gomorrah. As Lot considered that opportunity before him, it was profit that took priority. And sadly, the sinfulness of that place did not factor into his decision. God's word highlights this by noting that Lot settled among the cities as far as Sodom, and the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against God. Well, Lot's uh, compromise only continues. It gets worse. 
The next time that we read about Lot, we see that his compromise has continued. No longer does he live near the city of Sodom, now he lives in it. So how far can this compromise continue? Well, when we come to Genesis 19 and we read of that awful account, what we read there is so shocking that if we did not have further revelation, I think we would all draw the conclusion that there is no way that Lot belongs to God. What happened there in Genesis 19? Well, you will remember how the men of Sodom came to Lot's house demanding that he might let them in so that they might abuse those guests who had found refuge in his home. Well, Lot protects those angels, those men within, but listen to what he offers instead. He says, Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Whose wickedness is worse? The men of Sodom who want to abuse these men or that of Lot who is willing to sacrifice his daughters to be violently ruined by the raging sexual perversions of these wicked men. Whose wickedness is worse? Again, God, or you might say tonight to God, you don't know my sin. You don't know how wicked I am, but God does know. God knows. He knows your sin, and by his word, he is coming to you today to say, consider my servant Lot, and listen to his holy word. He says, and if he rescued Lot, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. Or in other words, if God rescued Lot, then he knows how to rescue you. Perhaps you are here tonight and you are tangled within a web of sin that you could not have imagined. Perhaps sin has led you to places that you never imagined you'd go. Well, the grace of God is here tonight in his word saying, consider lot. Because there can be no doubt that Lot could not have imagined that his seemingly insignificant compromise would have led him down this path into the place where he'd offer up his own daughters. So consider Lot. And see the remarkable way that God remembers Lot here in his word. Look at how God's word speaks about Lot. He is here remembered as righteous Lot. Righteous Lot because he was greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over, the, over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Where is Lot's sin? Where is Lot's wickedness? And why doesn't God remember those things? Well, the answer is because Lot's sin is gone. Where has it gone? Well, the Lord knows how to save the ungodly, and so God's word gives us an answer. Isaiah 53, 6, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
2 Corinthians 5, For our sake God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Psalm 103, For as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Jeremiah 31, 34, I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Why does the word of God look back and say righteous Lot? Because Lot is righteous. His sins were paid for by Christ and he was clothed with the righteousness of Christ. The Lord knew about Lot's sin and the Lord knows about yours as well. The Lord knows about your sin, and yet he is here in his word saying that the Lord knows how to rescue the godly. So what makes someone godly? You say, I don't know all of this, or I can't make sense of all of this. How could God make one like me godly? I don't know. Well, the answer from God's word is the Lord knows. Whenever you worry about the sin that has stained your soul, let this be the holy refrain that is found within your heart and soul. The Lord knows. The Lord knows. The Lord knows how to take a man like Lot and make him righteous Lot. To help us understand this, I'm going to borrow from Alistair Begg, who in a well-known sermon beautifully turns the attention of his hearers to the thief on the cross. If you haven't seen this yet, go home and look it up. The man in the middle. Alistair Begg imagines the thief on the cross about to enter into heaven. And Alistair Begg says, well, I want to go and I want to talk to that man because I want to know how all of this shook out for him. At one point, with the other man on the other cross, he is cursing Jesus. But somehow he comes to this point where Jesus says to him, today you will be with me in paradise. So how has this happened? Well, Alistair Begg imagines this man standing before the gates of heaven, and an angel comes and he asks him, what are you doing here? And the man says, I don't know. And the guy, the angel is kind of confused, and he says, well, who, how, how did you come here? And the man's like, I don't know. And so this angel goes and gets his supervising angel, and he comes over and he says, okay, let's sort this out. Let me ask you a few questions. Are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? The man says, I've never heard of it. He looks down on his list and he says, okay, how about the doctrine of Scripture? And the guy just stares at him blankly because he's never heard these words in his entire life. And so in frustration, the supervisor says, so on what basis are you here? And the man answers simply, the man on the middle cross said I could come. It's the Lord who knows. In a very certain sense, that is what matters. The Lord knows how to rescue the ungodly from trial. You may be burdened by the guilt and the shame of your sin. You may be weighed down 
in such a way that you say, I don't know. Well, hear the word of God, the Lord knows. In a certain sense, it doesn't matter whether or not you can connect all of the dots. Because the Lord knows. The Lord knows how to rescue the ungodly. So no matter who you are tonight, no matter what stage of life you find yourself in, young or old, no matter what season of life, complicated, uncomplicated, it doesn't matter. As you look forward into your life, you might be filled with all sorts of questions and you might wonder, saying, I don't know. Well, let that be the end of your wondering and hear the word of God and calm your heart. Hear him because the Lord knows. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly. The Lord knows your heart. He knows your sin. He knows your past. He knows your present. He knows your future. He knows your weaknesses. He knows all of these things, and he is saying to you, don't you ever forget it. The Lord knows how to save sinners. The wicked will not go unpunished, but the Lord knows how to rescue. In a particular sense, it doesn't depend on you. It doesn't depend on what you know, because the great truth here in the word of God is that the Lord knows. Let those words become your own. Hide them in your heart and say them to yourself over and over again and be ready to use them with your brothers and sisters time and again. The Lord knows. Let us pray together. Our gracious God in heaven, we thank you for your holy word. Lord, we thank you that we are not here considering the words of any mere man. We are not just uh, considering a text that is really well written, but that we are considering the very word of God, which is living and active which gives life to the soul, which revives the soul. Lord God, we pray that we might be comforted by your word tonight. Lord, we do see increasing wickedness in this world. And some of us have been so protected by it that we are not pressed by it. But others of us have seen it. We have experienced it in such a way that it does burden the soul. And we say, Lord, do you know? And we thank you, Lord God, that you know how to punish wickedness. And that in the end, you will do what is right. And we thank you that that is not ours, but that it belongs to you, Lord Jesus. And we thank you that as we have our own struggle with sin, as we have our own doubts, as the accuser comes regularly, to burden us and to try to turn us away from you, that your word comes and powerfully speaks and says the Lord knows how to save sinners. 
Lord God, I pray that you would grant that we would hear your word and believe it. That this word would be hidden deep within our hearts and be ready to be used at every moment. That even if we do not know what tomorrow holds or the next week or in five years or ten years, we don't know all of the various circumstances that you will have us to walk through as your people that it doesn't matter that we don't know because the Lord knows. Lord, we pray that you would strengthen our faith with this glorious truth that we might rest as we walk by faith and not by sight. Lord, bless us, we ask, to glorify you in this pilgrim journey. And so we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.